Heavenly Father, we thank you that your light has come into our lives. And Lord, as we've prayed all week long, we pray now, even as we sing, even as we open your word, that you would open our eyes to see the light of the world. Not only so that we could see the light of the world, but as you have said in your word, that we might become the light of the world. In a world that is filled with darkness, deep, deep darkness, Lord, your light is enough to shine through us into the lives of others. And we pray, God, this morning that because Jesus has come, all heaven might break loose in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave and Jess. I love, I love the way they lead worship. I'm so grateful for them and grateful uh, for this week and all that God has done. I was praying yesterday morning and just thinking, it's great to have a place to preach at Christmas time. And uh, particularly, I'm grateful for this place. Uh, it's been a long time coming and we're grateful for God's gracious provision of this place for His people. I wonder over these last couple of weeks if you've seen the convergence in the sky just after sundown, right up in the southwest uh, of the sky, there's been this convergence of, of Venus and Jupiter and I think the moon. In fact, I think we captured it uh, there in a, in a picture for you. And um, it's a powerful sight. I remember the first time I looked up, it was Thanksgiving evening and I was in Temple. And I just kind of looked up in my father-in-law's backyard and I saw it. And I called him because he's a photographer. And I said, you got to see this, this convergence of these bright lights. We're not used to seeing these extraordinary, the brightness of, of Venus. It is uh, next to the sun and the moon, the brightest uh, object in the sky. And uh, I ask you if you've seen it because I wonder if when you saw it, how many of you actually saw it in the sky? Anybody? Yeah, a bunch of us. Did you attach any meaning to it? What did it mean when you saw it? And I ask you that because I read a statistic this week that said that 25% of Americans surveyed said that in some ways the stars shape our destiny. Now, it may take the, the mild form of people reading their horoscope or others maybe who actually worship the stars. We, um, we don't get to participate in um, the worship of the creation, but of the Creator. But I looked at that and I thought about it. And then I read this week, it's on the National Geographic website, um, that actually the scholars uh, who study these things believe that in 2 BC, that exact same thing happened that Venus and Jupiter came together. And in fact, they had this image that perhaps in the uh, ancient Mideast, that when they came together, they melded together. They were so close that in the eyes of some, perhaps like Magi from Iran or Iraq, present-day Iran or Iraq, they looked up and they saw this one brilliant beacon of light. Now, I don't have any way of knowing whether that's true. It could have been Halley's Comet, for all I know. That's another theory. Or God could have just created a specific star. Because if you heard when Ryan and Sarah Walker, our, our missionaries, were reading the text this morning, it's pretty obvious that the star actually sort of shines directly on the spot of Bethlehem for them. And that's what they see. But here's what I want to ask you this morning. What was it? that those magi saw in the sky that would cause them to leave their country and their culture and bring their best gifts to worship the king of another people, the king of the Jews. If we can answer that question this morning, I believe it's going to change the way we operate. So would you open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 2. Verse 1, we're going to read the first six verses together. Matthew 2, 1 to 6. King of the stars. We've been studying the book of Matthew in this Advent season. We started last week and saw Emmanuel, 
God with us. Next week, we'll talk about worshiping the King. The following week, as we dedicate our babies, we'll talk about welcoming the King. And then on Christmas Eve, three services, uh, 436 and 11. Let's stand together to read God's Word. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Hear the Word of the Lord. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. You may be seated. Foreigners were among the first to find God when he came into the world. It's interesting, isn't it, that these magi come, they come looking, they come with their best gifts, they come to worship, they come asking questions, they're searching for the one who is the reason for the star. In fact, they get it right, don't they, when they say, we saw his star. When we were in the east, we saw his star and we came and they figured, I suppose, that they would run into a party when they got there. But ironically, the people have been waiting for generations who had been waiting since Isaiah, and in this case Micah had predicted, a shepherd ruler who would come from Bethlehem. If you knew, if you knew the Messiah was going to come from Bethlehem, why would you be hanging out in Jerusalem studying the text? Why wouldn't you be there checking blankets, pink blanket, blue blanket, looking for the one who came? But in fact, these magi know more than the religious leaders, the the chief priests who would have been the Sadducees, if you just want to make that connection, they sort of had a market, a corner on the market of of the chief priests, and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, those who were deeply committed to the law. These were the people who were in the know. They knew everything about the Messiah. They don't hesitate. They don't equivocate. They don't pause. They don't say, give us a few days to go look in our concordance. They just say, Bethlehem. That's where he's going to come. And apparently, as far as we can tell from the text, they sit back down to their Bibles their scrolls, and remain there studying while Herod sends the Magi on their way. It is to me an amazing story that the ones who were most in the know about the Messiah apparently didn't make any effort to get to know the Messiah. Matthew throws us a twist here. He says it would be better to be like the Magi than to be like the highest religious leaders of the people of Israel In that day, when we read this text, we are reminded that our God is the God, as we read together earlier, who so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that anybody, everybody who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So I want to ask you this morning, do you know the king of the stars? And doesn't it make sense that the king who created the stars would also be the Lord of the nations and he would evacuate any notion on our part that God is just about our little microbial area of the world. But in fact, that our God is the God of the whole earth who loved the world so much that he sent his only son. And I want to go beyond that and say, if you and I don't know that God loves all people in our world... We don't really know God 
as well as we need to. Because to know Him is to know that His love is expansive and inclusive and that He wants all people everywhere, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you say, why are you telling us this? I'll tell you why I'm telling you this. Because there are still people in our world like the Magi who from the nations are searching for the light of the world. In fact, you see it in this text. It says after Jesus was born. This happens after the fact. In fact, those little nativity scenes where you see the shepherds and the magi together, not exactly accurate. Luke tells us about the shepherds. They're there the first night. But this has happened a period of time before. In fact, if you follow the story and see the ages of the little boys that Herod will put to death, what you realize is that this star apparently appeared, what they say, 2 B.C.? It appeared sometime before and they, they saw it and they recognized the coming of the king. It's after the fact, and they come, they come to Jerusalem because that's where they believe the king of the Jews will be. That's where David reigned on his throne. But the Jews knew that Bethlehem was the place there in Judea. It's during the time, by the way, of King Herod. So when, when they came looking for the king of the stars, there really were kings in the world. There was King Herod, we read about there in verse 1. King Herod, who, by the way, was not born king of the Jews. In fact, he was just half Jew. He was actually half Idumean, if you've heard that word. It's Edomite, descendant of Edom, descendant of Esau. So you've got a descendant of Esau reigning over the descendants of Jacob. And if you know the Old Testament, you know something's wrong in this picture. And Herod knows something's wrong. He wasn't born a king. He got there by hook and by crook. Uh, he was a very deceptive and deceitful man who convinced the Roman government to give him the chance to rule over that area but he was always uneasy on the throne. In fact, he killed three of his own sons because he thought they were going to perform a coup and, and, uh, and uh, usurp his throne. And so Herod was there. And we also know from Luke that there was another king, the emperor Augustus. When you hear we three kings of Orient are, that's not exactly accurate. There were three kings in this story. There was King Herod, there was Augustus Caesar, who had established the Roman peace around the world by being, by the way, the best butcher in the world. That's how he established peace. And then there is God's Son, King Jesus, the King of the Stars. In fact, these Magi were not kings. They were of a priestly caste. We believe from Iran or Iraq. And they were, they were astrologers. They were people who studied the stars. So imagine my uh, dismay when we were preparing for these windows. You've noticed by now the Old Testament window and the crown there for King David. And, uh, and we were doing you know, the cross window and then the New Testament window. And the artist's first rendering had three crowns right there above the manger. And I said, what are those? And he said, for the we three kings of Orient are. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. What we put in the windows needs to be what's actually in the Bible. And that's not actually in the Bible. What's actually in the Bible is that there were magi. And we don't even know that there were three. I even read my comment in the introduction today, the worship welcome. We don't know that there were three. All we know is that there were three gifts. That there was gold and frankincense and myrrh. There could have been ten of them. We don't know. What we do know is that they were wise. How do we know that they were wise? Because they said, we have come to see the one who has been born king of the Jews. We came looking for a king. And I think their quest is not unlike the quest of all humankind. I think we see it in our world. People are desperately looking for somebody who will give order to their lives. They're looking for a good king, for a godly king, somebody who will lead them in the right way. But in fact, 
In fact, Herod was not that, and Augustus Caesar was not that, and they're looking for the one who has been born king of the Jews, and when they said, we saw his star, they did not know how truthfully they spoke, because it was his star. I was reading in Genesis chapter 1, verse 16 this week, and it says, just as a throw-off, after God creates the world, it says, and he made the stars also. The Gospel of John tells us there was not one thing made except that Jesus Christ, the Word, made it. Colossians chapter 1 says all things were made by him and for him. He made the stars also. I I always sort of snicker when I hear about this international star registry and they say, give your loved one the most special gift for Christmas. Name a star after them. I was thinking maybe you ought to consult the one who made the stars. He may have already named them because he made every single star. We saw his star in the east and the king of the stars caused them to leave their homes to look for him. And this is still happening today. I was talking with a friend of mine this week, and he got on a plane, and, and uh, he was on a plane with a man from another country who lives in Brownsville. And this man said to him, so what are your hobbies? And he said, well, I have three boys, so I go to a lot of sporting events, and I go to church. I'm very involved in my church. He said, so you're a Christian? And my friend said, yes. And he said, well, that's interesting. And this man from another country, from India, began to quote the Sermon on the Mount. He said, do you know these words? And my friend said, yeah, I know those words. Those words are in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, well, that's amazing. He said, I'm not a Christian, but I've always wondered about those words because I'd heard them before. Can you show me where in the Bible I can find those words? My friend who actually had his Bible with him, he had his Gideon Bible that uh, his uh, relative had given him at a recent funeral. And he opened up this New Testament. He showed it to the man and then he put his business card in it and he gave it to the man because he wanted him to have it. In case he ever wanted to read the Sermon on the Mount, he wanted him to be able to find it. And my friend said to me, this man was so spiritually awake. He was looking for something. I mean, he was involved in yoga and all these different kinds of religions. He was open, but he was open to the Sermon on the Mount. And he wanted to know about Jesus. And the whole flight, he peppered me with questions. He wanted to know about Jesus, who Jesus was. And I had the chance to tell him who Jesus was to me. And I'm just saying, if you and I have our eyes open, we will discover that the world's eyes are open. They're looking for a king. They're looking for somebody who will be the Lord of their lives because they know what a mess they've made of their own lives. They know they need help. And if you and I would simply lead them to Him and be ready to share who He is, we would discover that people like the Magi are still looking for the King. I read it in Time Magazine earlier this year. One of our prisoners of war from the Vietnam War was telling his story and he told about how they used to tie him up and they would tie his hands behind his back and then tie a rope to his hands and then wrap it over his head and then tie it to his feet so that he was in this uncomfortable position and they would just tighten it down and then one night one of the guards came in and and uh, loosened the ropes without saying a word and then just before his shift was over the next morning returned and retightened the ropes. The man never said a word to him, but he was so grateful this man had done this for him. He said a few days later, it was Christmas Day, and he walked out into this dirt courtyard, and when he gets out in this dirt courtyard, he's standing there, and this guard comes over to him, and without a single word, without a wink or a smile, just walks over and stands beside him. And then with his sandal in the dirt, he makes the mark of a cross. And our prisoner of war said, I stood there with my guard And with wordless wonder, celebrated the fact that Jesus Christ, the light of the world, could shine even in the darkness of that prison camp. I want you to know there are people all over the world who want to know the King, 
who would love to know the king of the stars. Doesn't it make sense that the one who made the stars has no boundaries? He's a king without borders. The whole earth belongs to him. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world, and listen to this, and those who dwell therein. I'm telling you that when Jesus was on the cross, He was redeeming not just you and me, He was redeeming the whole world. And what He wants, as we look at this passage, is for us to know Him. So I look at verse 3, and King Herod doesn't know Him. So he hears this and he's disturbed. Why would you be disturbed at the coming of the king? Unless you've usurped a throne that really doesn't belong to you. And all Jerusalem with him was disturbed. Of course, when Herod got disturbed and started killing people, then everybody started getting disturbed. And we'll see, he's capable of genocide. He's a disturbed and disturbing man. And he calls together the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law. And we think, okay, here comes... Uh, here comes the, the cavalry. These people understand. They're the religious leaders. And he asked them, where the Christ was to be born? And they say, in Bethlehem and Judah. And they quote Micah chapter 5, verse 2. In fact, they combine it with 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 2, and bring together this idea that out of this little town of Bethlehem, there's going to come this king who's going to be a ruler. And listen to this, who will be the shepherd. And immediately Herod knows that's not him. Because he's a ruler. But he is not a shepherd. And so he is getting more and more upset. And, but even more disturbing to me than Herod's response is the fact that after verse 6, we don't hear anything else about these chief priests and these, these teachers of the law. They don't go. They don't seek Him. Here's what I want you to see. They know about the Messiah, but they don't know the Messiah. John chapter 1 says, when Jesus came, He came to His own, but His own knew him not. Do you know it's possible to know everything about the Messiah, but not know him? Here's my goal in life, not to be the world Bible trivia champion who knows every answer to every biblical question, but not just to know about him, but to know him. Not long after I came here, I was up in Waco at a conference and I was in the elevator at the Hilton Hotel, if you've ever been there. And, um, I got in the elevator with a friend of mine and we were standing there and, you know, the, we were coming down from the top floor or one of the top floors and, and the door opened somewhere about halfway down and these two other guys get in, you know, and you know how that is. It's a little awkward when you're in the elevator and other people get in, you know, do you become their best friend in the two seconds you have with them or do you just kind of, you know, nod your head, you know, so we just kind of nod our heads and everybody's kind of looking at the floor because it's really uncomfortable. Try this sometime if you just stare at the other people. That's very uncomfortable. So we're just sort of, you know, we're sort of looking down and I couldn't help but notice that one of the guys who got on had... I mean, ginormous feet. I mean, very, very big feet. And I was just thinking, wow, those are big feet, you know? And I was just looking, and he was, he was a rather large man. And I, I sort of looked up at him and looked at his face, and he was famously familiar. And I was like, and just then the doors open, and, it, you know, and it was his floor to get off, and, and, and the door, and I said, hey, aren't you? And he turned around and he smiled at me, and with this mellifluous bass voice, he said, Jones. James Earl Jones. And then the doors closed. I was like, oh, snap. I could have met him. I could have told all my friends how, you know, James Earl and I were hanging out together and we were talking about roots and we were talking about, you know, that whole asthma thing that Darth Vader had and all that. I mean, I was, and I missed it. I missed my chance to know him. And so I'm not a very credible witness, am I, about James Earl Jones. I can just tell stories about how I almost met him. But I can't tell anybody about how I know him. I couldn't introduce him to anybody. And here's the thing. If we know all about Jesus, but we never come to know Jesus, we're not credible witnesses. And you say, well, how do I know if I know Jesus? Well, here's the deal. 
Jesus loves all the people of the world. Is that you? Do you love everybody? Or do you still have your petty little biases and regional distinctions and your own loves and hates and prejudices? Can you understand that God so loved the world? It doesn't see. You read John 3.16. It doesn't say God so loved me. It doesn't say God so loved America. It says God so loved the world. I counted a few years ago that in our congregation, I'm not counting our language congregations, in our congregation we have 25 different nationalities And I'm grateful at Tallowood, these flags remind us today once a year, but every Sunday we are reminded this is an international congregation because we serve the God who loves the nations. And I want you to hear what the scriptures say, Isaiah chapter 60, nations will come to your light. Hear it in Simeon, uh, in Luke chapter 2, when he says, he will be a light for the Gentiles. You know why I love this story? Because I'm not an insider. Because I'm an outsider. I was reading in Luke chapter 14, that story where, where the, the king throws a great banquet and he invites all his friends and all the people that he knows, but they won't come. They've all got something else going on. Oh, I just got married. Oh, I just did this. I just started planning. I can't, I can't come right now. And he says, okay, go get the people I don't know. Beat the bushes. Find the people, find the last, the the lost and the least. Find those people who don't even deserve to come to my banquet and bring them to my banquet. And you know why I love that story? Because that's how I got in. Because I'm one of those Gentiles for whom Jesus, the King of the stars, became the light. And any one of us who's an outsider, who's become an insider, has no room for ever looking at anybody else askance because they're an outsider. The fact that Jesus Christ came reminds us that we are to go. And Jesus said to his disciples with some of the last words he spoke to them all power in heaven and on earth Matthew 28:18 belongs to me that means we've got the greatest power in the world he says you go therefore here's the greatest purpose in the world and make disciples of your neighbors well not exactly make disciples of all nations baptizing them teaching them you hear this of all the nations. That, that wasn't just for Jesus' disciples then. That's for Jesus' disciples now. That's why the walkers who read our scripture for our Advent candle today, we sent them with the International Mission Board from our church. We sent them over to Europe. They're one of four young couples that we're uh, recognizing this weekend. The Wittenbergs who are also in Europe, in Germany. And the Roses who are in South America, in Peru. And and the Bertrands who were over in the Middle East. And I don't know if you read Scott's blog this week, but when Scott, Scott and Abby read our scripture last night, and when they came up on the screen, I just started crying. Because I love that couple, and I love the heart they have for the people of God. Right now, they're in Israel, because they're there with some of those children. You know, buy shoes, save lives, remember from VBS? They're there with some of those children who need heart surgery from Iraq. And to get heart surgery, the children from Iraq, they're taking them in this organization over to Israel where they're having surgery. And he told about the children with the blue lips who have no circulation, who need heart surgery. And he told about a little boy named Hussein and uh, how his mother was on Al Jazeera, the English-speaking Al Jazeera network. And she was weeping. And she said, I'm weeping. And they said, are you crying because you're worried about your son dying before the surgery or during the surgery? And she said, no, though those things are possible. She said, I'm weeping because my son, who is going to be healed here if the surgery works could be killed by a radical Islamist when we get back home because he sought help from Americans and from people in Israel. That's why I'm weeping. And for the sake of the nations, for the sake of the people in Israel, for the sake of the people in Iraq, for the sake of the people in Iran, for the sake of the peoples of the world, we have sent these out so that all people might come to know Jesus Christ. And can I just tell you something? I'm not asking you. I'm not asking you to go across the world. I'm just asking you to walk across the street 
Your neighborhood is the UN. I'm asking you to walk across the room in your office. Invite somebody to come and be a part. Come and share with us. Everybody loves beautiful music tonight. The, these wonderful King's Brass players will play again and our choir will sing. And I want this place to be filled to the rafters with the people who live in Houston. And if the people of Houston come, believe me, it's going to be an international crowd. And it's a good thing. Because our God is the King of the stars. And if we know Him, we will want to make Him known. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for the privilege of knowing Jesus Christ and even more for the privilege of making Him known. And help us, I pray, Lord, to be faithful in our relationships, to share Christ, to always be ready to give an answer, to give a reason for the hope that other people see in us. Lord, I pray that you'll bless our missionaries this morning. We think especially about the Walkers. We think about the Bertrands and the Roses and the Wittenbergs. And we also think, Lord, about countless other missionaries who are serving in dark places today. And in some cases, they are the only light in that area. And I pray, God, that you would cause their light to shine brightly. But I pray, Father, for Houston, where we also live in a city that can sometimes be a dark place, that we would be the light of the world. It's not enough, Lord, for us to know you as the light of the world, but when your light changes us, we become the light of the world. And I pray that would happen starting today. Lord, give us the courage and the boldness to invite somebody to come to worship with us tonight or worship with us next Sunday morning so that we can share the good news. Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.